Hi, I'm Daryl Etherington, the host of Found. Welcome to the show. I'm here with the professional to my development. Jordan Crook. Yeah. All right. You know Found, or even if you don't, you're about to know it. It's the podcast from TechCrunch where you hear the stories behind the startups. Every week we talk to a different founder about their experience building and leading their company. Before we get started, just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player of choice. And then also write us and review us. It's always appreciated. Five stars, top reviews, all the positive feedback that you can muster, which is probably plenty since this is such a great podcast. And yeah, we appreciate that. So today, our guest is Christine Tao from Sounding Board. That's a platform that enables companies to offer managed and organized executive coaching at all levels and also measure the efficacy of that coaching. Jordan, me and you, we coach each other. But what do you think about the industry in general? I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense as a person who has slowly climbed the ranks in whatever my career is, whatever it is I do here, to like feel like confused about things. There's just not training for certain aspects of this stuff, right? And so I think it makes a lot of sense. And I am excited to see it kind of like taking off in the way that it has. There's a lot of startups like this out there. This one is particularly interesting, I think, in the way it differentiates itself. And I also just think that the founders have an interesting story and are cool people. But yeah. 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 So let's hear from Christine all about her founding story. And she talks a lot about the company and how she created it with her partner, who is also an executive coach herself. So we'll hear from Christine now. Hey, Christine, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good, good. All right. So we're very excited to have you on. Your company is Sounding Board, but we like to have the founders explain what the company does because they're usually much better at it than myself or Jordan. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, so do you want to give us just kind of like like the elevator pitch, basically, of what Sounding Board does? Yeah. At Sounding Board, our vision has always been to help companies create their most impactful leaders. And how does that happen? We have a leader development platform that encompasses technology plus a global network of coaches that allow us to scale leadership coaching to employees at every level. So hmm. that really is all delivered virtually as well. We have a global network. So what that allows us to do is effectively work with companies at every level across any office, language, location. And really it stemmed out of my own experience in working with a coach at my last company, finding that to be one of the most impactful developmental experiences I'd ever had and a desire to be able to bring that model of coaching to people earlier in their careers. Great. Yeah, it, it can be. I know there was a company I worked at previously. I won't say which one it was just to because Jordan always ding, ding, ding. criticizes me for saying which one it was. <laughs> it's Shopify. But they had they had like an in-house corporate coach and there was I think there was two of them, but there was one guy who was the main guy and he would do like Toby, like the CEO and some other high ranking execs and then other people could maybe book time with that office but it was pretty tricky to get in it was a rarefied resource let's say and it sounds like maybe that was your prior experience too and you realized like oh this should be available to more people in the company yeah i mean if you think about just how executive coaching started 
you know, it really was something that very early on was something that was very expensive. It's delivered in person. And so because of that was really only available to your highest level execs. And that was my experience. When I worked with the coach, she flew up every week and came into our office and we worked together. But the idea now is that obviously we're in a remote environment. You now have the ability to be able to provide that same sort of development, but you can do it in a way that is much more scalable. It's much more affordable. And then, of course, then that makes the model available to a lot more people. Mm -hmm. And my experience just is that, you know, that coach that I sort of shared in that story is now actually my co-founder. So when I started Sounding Board, it was after I had this experience in working with the coach I ended up bringing coaching into my entire team and really found that I was able to build a team that was more engaged, that I could promote from within, and ended up being a team that had less attrition and churn than some of my peers. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like it was because I had invested in their development. And so now I feel really lucky that, you know, my coach has now turned to my co-founder Lori has been a coach for over 25 years, and she wow. she was that coach I was talking about, you know, coaching C-level execs at the Fortunes. A lot of our philosophy and our approach at Sounding Board has really been around how do you take this very personalized form of leader development and translate that into a scalable experience. So that's been really fun. Yeah. And did you start, because you started, the company has been around since I think 2016, right? According to LinkedIn is where I did my research. But <laughs> back then it was, remote wasn't really kind of like the main paradigm. Did you start sounding bored with like a remote paradigm in mind or did that come later? I did. And the funny thing was that really was the first hypothesis, if you think about starting a company, you know, like what's the big hypothesis that you're proving? That was the first one, which was, would people engage with this model if you didn't get to meet your coach in person and it was all delivered virtually? But we knew that, Laura and I knew, you know, that had to be the case in order for us to really be able to make it more affordable. So that was the first thing that we were really proving out was that thesis. And then, you know, lo and behold, 2020 comes around and now virtual is not a choice. So what that ended up doing was dramatically accelerate demand for the model and our solution. Um, When I started the company in 2016, we bootstrapped the company to start, ended up raising seed capital at the end of 2017. But post the pandemic, ended up raising sort of two back-to-back rounds, our A and our B, Companies now raised almost $50 million to date. And a lot of that really was through the acceleration of remote work and virtual and having to do things virtually becoming a must versus a nice to have. I'm curious about that raise decision. Was it something you saw like, oh, this is the time? Like if we put the fuel on now, like we really are going to catch fire or was that coming from outside? Were you getting advisors telling you that or how did you kind of realize like, oh, this is when you should really get off the bootstrap or the minor, the small investment kind of train and, and put it into overdrive? Daryl, I wish I could say this was all a perfectly formulated plan. The the reality is, and I've talked about this before, is that we had failed fundraises before we got to our A as well, you know, and, um, you know, Lori and I are female founders and you both probably know the stats around venture backing to female founded companies. I struggled, to be honest, with raising capital early on. And we did our seed rounds, you know, successively before we got to the A. Mm -hmm. But certainly what I will say is that the 
shift to remote work was an accelerator for the business. So I was able, you know, in closing the Series A, a lot of that was due to just increased traction of the business, growing and scaling. And then I think for investors, they always care about why now. And that why now became almost, uh, you know, so obvious that it was hard to ignore. Yeah. I'm curious, like where you see the interplay between like the acceleration from COVID, right? And like having to go virtual being fuel for your business and the rising tide of kind of like this type of thing, right? Like soft skills in the workplace with like Chief and Eureka and like you could probably name a dozen more that I couldn't because you know your competitive landscape better than I do, hopefully. (laughs) But like how much did that affect investors as well? And it feels like that would have a dual effect, right? Like on the one hand, like this is hot right now. Let's invest in it. On the other hand, it's like we have 20 to choose from. Right. Like, which one do we go with? How did you think about that piece of it? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I will say about investors embracing the model versus being skeptical of it beyond just the pandemic is I really believe it's because they started to experience it. Mm-hmm. And it might have been experienced through proxy because they were seeing how much their portfolio companies were struggling with engaging their employees leading through like rapid change and really struggling to be able to keep their teams connected. So I do think that was the other thing that was happening that really at least shifted investor outlook on the model and the market. You're right in terms of then, you know, any exciting market now also becomes really competitive, at least personally for me and for what we do at Sounding Board you know, we had to do a lot of work to say, well, what's going to be our piece of the market? What are we going to focus on that we really think is going to have value for the customers that we're going after? And for us, that really meant being clear that, you know, we're B2B, we're focused on enterprise. We think and believe that companies need both technology as well as a end-to-end virtual coaching solution. Mm -hmm. So we're one of the only companies that has a hybrid solution or product in the market where our customers could license our software and be able to stand up their own coaches internally. They can hook into our global network and be able to deliver that solution end to end, but all of it sits on one platform. Mm -hmm. But the main point of sharing that is really just that you just have to get super crisp on what's the value proposition you're bringing and to who and what customers does that resonate with And then is there a big market behind that? So that's where then you can start to draw a distinction, us versus a membership community like Chief, which is more targeted towards the individual leaders. We're much Mm -hmm. more a solution for the company. That's interesting. Right. That makes a lot of sense, especially because like I could see the appeal of the, it's almost like having the on-prem option. The number one is like, if you're like Apple or something and you're like, we're not, we don't just want like our people talking to whomever, like it has to be specific (laughs) individuals who we have said like, this person thinks smart <laughs> like the, we want them talking to people but other companies are like we're happy <laughs> i don't well it's not cro- proper grammar anyways they probably wouldn't use that but uh, yeah I, I want that one i want that version we should set that up at TechCrunch, jordan and then yeah. the designated coach is just me do you think oh, that would God. work well i think oh. that would be great yeah totally it's like be more upset about things <laughs> But also at the same time, not at all. 
Yeah, totally nonchalant, but also It's like nonchalant grouch. (laughs) It's like, I don't really care, but if I do, it's negative. But if I did care. (laughs) I have a bunch of questions. So I want to know more about the tech side of things. Like I was just browsing the website and saw like something along the lines of AI insights, Mm -hmm. AI powered admin tools and centralized data insights. Can we talk like about how something so soft skillsy actually even ends up as a tech product to begin with? Like Mm -hmm. it feels so person to person. Yeah. I mean, I think you see examples of this everywhere, right? Like even something as basic as, you know, telehealth or online therapy or things like that. Ultimately, the relationship ends up in a brokered relationship with the real human, right? And so we're no different in that way. But there has been incredible inefficiencies in how you get to the right person and the right coach and that right match that we do think technology can uniquely solve. The other piece is that specific to a company, I don't know if either of you have ever worked with an executive coach, but the sort of status quo- You can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm supposed to be currently. (laughs) I might be missing that meeting for this now. The status quo was basically you hook somebody up with an executive coach because they are, you know, a high level exec within the organization. You assume that there's value to that relationship. Once connection is made, there wasn't a lot of insight or transparency or understanding around What goals were you working on? What impact is that having? Is that tied to the organization's goals, right? And I think that was okay when it was a model that only your C-suite was exposed to because just by sort of logic, you could say, well, this person owns a 200-person organization. As long as they're a stronger leader, we believe that that's going to have a downstream impact to the rest of the team. But for someone like us, 70% of the people we work with are not in the C-suite. They're below, they're in mid-level management. They might be first-time managers. In that case, there is a lot more desire from the company to understand that, hey, you know, feedback that we've given through a 360 or other places, that gets worked into the engagement so that we are helping this person actually develop in their own journey as a leader, increase their skill sets and capabilities. So I think there's just a different expectation from the organization when you deploy something like this to a different population. Mm-hmm. And that's another place that technology can really drive more transparency, more context to the mm-hmm. engagement than you would have done when it was just you know a handful of execs at the top. So I think, you know, those are a couple of areas, but for us, the primary technology, at least is really concentrated on the right match. So what we've learned after having done thousands and thousands of coaching engagements is that getting the right match is one of the biggest drivers for success that will lead to impact, behavior change, mindset shifts, all those things that you want out of leadership coaching. And so we've done We have sort of a social styles model that all of our coaches are fit against. All of our coaches are fit against as well. That along with a bunch of data we collect in a profile that feeds an algorithm that then allows us to make the right match. And then we have kind of lift-like ways to confirm that match post the sessions on both Hmm. parties and ways that we sort of work that in that allows us then to be able to say, okay, this is going to be the right pairing. And then from there, you know, it moves on. 
But that's probably where the most technology is deployed. Yeah, and that feels like the right spot. I mean, I think on the insights, like the kind of like metric tracking side of things, like I think that's where I get a little hung up. So I'm in a some sort of Yahoo leadership thing right now. And that's what I was referencing use, as well. The, yeah. And yeah. we should name it, I guess, because who knows? It's called Level Up. Oh, no, you're in a different it. one. You're in a different one. Oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> What's yours called? It's called the forum. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so Level Up is the program that Yahoo names it. Oh, oh the okay. forum is the outside tool they're using. I right. think. Yeah. Or okay. maybe internal tool. I don't know. But my issue with it is there's like this curriculum, right? And then you go and like type your goals and like how did you do this today? And like self advocacy or whatever, which is fine. But I know where all of it's feeding, and it does feel like in a lot of ways executive coaching is like equal parts coaching and therapy, right? Like it's very specific. Like right now I have these specific things that I'm dealing with and I need help with those. And in getting help with those, I will develop muscle memory for when similar things happen in the future, right? But like going through your little rubric of like generalized leadership things doesn't really like suit me. Right. And so I'm just curious when you like go on prem, right? And you're like, here, license our software. And that company's like, oh, we want to like track what people are working on. It almost like feels like a violation of the coaching relationship because I'm not telling HR. I'm not talking to my cost center. I'm talking to someone who's supposed to help me with soft skills. And I don't want those two to go together. You know what I mean? Totally. Look, that's this is probably the like stickiest area of the technology. And we still are optimizing that today. But I can share with you a little bit of our journey, which is actually a pretty interesting story. And I think reflective of your experience, Jordan. So when we started, like, look, who's our customer? Our customer is the company, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that they're engaged, that they see value out of it so they continue to be a customer with us so that their employees can get that development, which is so critical. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we started out, we actually started out on almost kind of the experience you described. You know, we had an OKRs model because we thought like, oh, companies all use OKRs and now we can have that flow into the coaching and that will make it a lot more tangible to the companies that are buying sounding board. Well, lo and behold, guess what? Folks like you didn't like using it. (laughs) Our coaches didn't like using it because they didn't feel like that accurately reflected the work and it felt unnatural, like you were creating these goals to be able to go show somebody else. So what we ended up doing was a pretty big overhaul and we're still learning how do we get the right engagement and where does confidentiality fall into it. But so we have a tool we call the Leadership Roadmap. Okay, so there are goals because we do have a fundamental belief that as you work with a coach, there needs to be goals that you're working towards, right? And that helps anchor the development. As opposed to just individual fires that you're putting out. That's right. Otherwise, it gets way too short term and you're not actually impacting long term change. So goals are part of it. For every company, you can define what leadership capabilities you want your employees to work on. And we actually allow companies to customize that. So when you set a goal, you can also attach like what skills and capabilities you might be developing as a result of that. And then some impact that you can name both to the business as well as yourself. So that's kind of how we think about capturing data that the company cares about. Then you go into our tool and the tool now, it becomes a collaborative tool just between you and your coach. 
You can decide what goals you want to share. You can keep goals private. You don't have to share those. And then even within the collaboration, instead of focusing on I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and thinking of that as a progress report, we actually look at helping you capture what insights you're generating out of your work with your coach, what actions you and your coach decide you're going to take, and then what outcomes that drives. It's like an insights, actions, and results model. Mm. But none of that is shared with anybody. So that really is a place for you and your coach to be able to just almost in a structured way, take notes on what you're doing. And it actually reflects how a coach coaches. Like if you've been through the experience, you know, they'll ask you questions like, well, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Well, what action are you going to take? And what people would find is like, they'd forget all of this. You'd show up to the next session and be like, all right, what do we talk about? And you're almost starting over. So we wanted a tool that you could actually collaborate with your coach around, but it doesn't mean that you have to expose all of that to the organization. For us, this is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a evolution of like, um, Lori, my co-founder is a coach. So we very much have this DNA of we have to build tools that the coaches actually want to use because they're going to be the person that helps the coachee adopt this and utilize it. So it has to reflect like the natural behavior of coaching and what coaches use. But for us, we also have to be able to take into consideration and figure out how do you structure that in a way that the company also gets enough insight without going into confidentiality. Mm -hmm. That's at least at least how we thought about it. It's not perfect. You're right, because it is this kind of sensitivity with when you have a three-way party like this. But certainly, I do think it's a place that we've spent a lot of time thinking about and continue to iterate on. It would be cool, too, to like have that special, like either this is just for me and I'm jotting it down, or this is just for me and my coach. Like, I learned this tool today or whatever. And for that to be somehow anonymized and translated to the company on a fuller scale, right? Like of Mm. the 10 coaches, like we're making this kind of progress and just give it to them in the numbers that they like. Like, oh, we saw 10% progress this week from all of our, you know what I mean? And like, you don't need to worry about what else happened. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, we and we do that. The capabilities kind of help because we also give you points to be able to self-assess and get feedback if how you're doing against certain capabilities. You're right. It's this really interesting data problem or of how do you think about what makes sense to expose? What do people really want to see? And then how do you manage confidentiality and transparency so that users trust the system? The the last basic thing we do is like, if you ever answer a survey question on sounding board, you have an icon that'll tell you exactly who can see that. So we try to make that transparent to the person at the time of when they are answering questions or data that might end up feeding somewhere else. Yeah. So one of the things that's cool about having you on is you're like a double threat guest. In what way? <laughs> well, because on the one hand, you're a founder, right? So like you can talk about being a founder and that's great. And then on the other hand, for all of our founder listeners, you have so much more experience in leadership and coaching, right? right? Like you have all of these extra bits, not just from your own experience, because it's the business that you run. So I'm curious, like what If there's a founder out there that feels like they need an executive coach, obviously maybe they should look at your platform, but then what kind of like, what's the free advice you give? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. Free advice I'd give, you know, it's interesting because I, so everybody at Sounding Board gets a coach, myself included. And, you know, now I have a coach who is not my co-founder, Lori, (laughs) you know, which Lori is very happy about. (laughs) And 
what I found is when I think about the times where I feel like I've actually really shifted or up leveled my thinking, and then something that I did with my coach actually really ended up having impact is usually you come into it thinking there's like 10 other problems. All of this is happening. You know, with the founder, mm-hmm. you've, you've constantly have other people that you're trying to manage. And what I've said is if you can really be as open as you can with your coach, be willing to do the work and actually open up some of the things that you feel really uncomfortable around. Like those are the places where I've had breakthroughs that mm-hmm. you don't actually think immediately have a business impact or an impact to the startup, right. but it actually is the either it's the mindset or the belief that's been holding you back and impacting the way that you engage with others. So I know that sounds like I don't know if that's too sort of no, high level. I think, but, no, I, yeah. think that I think that that's so good because like I do feel like I've learned a lot. Daryl and I are both kind of on this journey together in a lot of ways, and I feel like I've learned a lot about that soft skills side being more about my own self-awareness than about anybody else or any like technical challenge, but just like, am I, do I know that I can either be like proud or ignorant or this or that in certain situations? And how can I like counteract that versus any sort of like use, you know, I feel language versus you all, you know what I mean? Like, that's great. And those are useful tools, but like, they don't really get to the crux of things. And the only way you can do that is by being vulnerable and being like, I feel like I'm not smart enough to do this, or I feel like I'm, you know, too impatient or too indecisive or whatever, but you got to get there first. That's right. That awareness and what I found, like the ability to, you almost sometimes can get to this state where you're like watching yourself. You know, I've had like a hard conversation with one of my execs and I actually will be like, oh, this is where I need to do something different as much Mm -hmm. as I want to just say this or that. Like, but that moment is what could actually completely shift the dynamic of a relationship or a challenge that I've had with that person or a function but that like level of awareness is hard to do when we have so many things coming at us as founders. And so that luxury of being able to really work through that with your coach is one of the biggest benefits you can get in working with a coach. Right. And you're saying it's just make time for it, right? Make make time and allow the space for it. And kind of the other things are still going to be going on, but you have to turn off the fact that they're going on for that time, right? And almost everyone I've talked to who's had any sort of executive coaching, particularly one-on-one has been like, that was huge for me. Like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone be like, oh, that was a waste of time or money. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that. I think almost everyone has been like, that changed the game for me. That's right. That's right. If you want to just shoot us some cash. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever, whatever the model you think is appropriate. Right. 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 Just send me your addresses. Yeah. Disclaimer. Found listeners, we are not making any kickbacks. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, we don't ever make any money, like ever, basically. So I did. I was curious about just like your. I know you you had great experience with this yourself when you were an executive, but like, what was your motivation to be like? I'm gonna start a company to do this. Like the way forward for this is like I'm gonna build my own company because it's like you know not the choice that everyone makes, and it's always interesting to hear why somebody decided to embark on the entrepreneurial journey specifically, right? Yeah, I mean, so I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So it started out with my grandpa in Taiwan actually owning a shoe store. Mm. 
he was like one of those entrepreneurs that had probably three or four different businesses. To be honest, one of them kind of felt like it was maybe a loan shark business, but you know, (laughs) we won't comment on that. But and then my dad. (laughs) My dad then came from Taiwan and he was part of that group of engineers that gave Silicon Valley its name. You know, he was working at like AMD and all of these chip companies that Mm. were creating chips and on silicon and And even despite that, I never thought I would start a company because I just didn't have an idea. I've been around startups. I was at Google and YouTube and then a couple of venture-backed startups here in the Bay Area, but Mm -hmm. didn't have an idea. But as I mentioned, I just had this incredible experience working with Lori at my last startup. That one, you know, I joined as employee 30, and then we ended up building the business to over $100 million in less than three years. Mm. And when you go through that, I worked for four different CEOs over the course of five years. It was really volatile. Mm -hmm. And after going through that, I really felt like, man, Lori and her ability to help me through all of these leadership challenges was probably one of the most profound experiences that I'd ever had. Could that be something that other people would engage with, especially because I saw how well the rest of my team who I had brought in coaching for really flourished because of it. So, you know, sort of right timing, right time and ended up just having that thought in the back of my mind as I moved out of working with startups and thought about my next move and thought like, hey, well, you know, we'll give it a shot. And here we are, you know, six (laughs) years later, it's been really rewarding just because when I started, I remember a lot of VCs asking me if this was a venture scale business and just a lot of skepticism around the model. And now I think you know, like Jordan was saying, it's a very different place. People actually think I'm in a hot market and Mm -hmm. there's lots of companies and funding coming into the space. And so that's been really, I think, a nice part of the journey. And especially because it was so much work and we still have a lot of work to do. Right. One thing that I had like a follow up question with that too, because you mentioned, you know, it was difficult to raise and the gender diversity is not good in Silicon Valley in terms of people who are able to secure funding. So like, How do you feel about that? Do you feel like that has actually changed or is it because you talked a lot about how much the circumstances have changed? Is it one of those things where like that's still a huge challenge and there's still all this implicit bias, but like the potential to make money kind of overrid it? Or do you feel like that part of it has changed since you went out and started fundraising as well? I mean, the data will tell you it hasn't, right? Right. Funding (laughs) to women and sort of people of color actually contracted in the last couple of years. So What I will say is that I think with anything, it has to at least start with increased dialogue and awareness and importance of the issue. I do feel like that has shifted. You know, we didn't have organizations like All Raise and Wordlist and all of these organizations um, when I was starting. And I think now just having that as part of the vernacular that people talk about diversity at those levels and in those communities, that gives me hope. But, you know, the data actually needs to change for us to say that we're making progress in my mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's do you ever feel like you have I don't know, you you said you fundraise twice back to back. I don't know if you're fundraising now or how all of that looks. But in that process from C to A to B, did you feel I'm sure that you felt like you improved and just in terms of like your ability to go and fundraise and like learned the science and math of it. But I've heard some female founders describe like um, like a litmus test kind of of some sort like 
something that gives them an initial click where they're like, I don't need to waste my time anymore because you're Mm. off. I'm not even talking Mm. about like the gender thing per se, but I think that it just is more common when women founders are like, I just know the efficiency. And if you're going to ask me this question, it probably tells me I don't hear male founders talk about that as much. Right. right? And I was just curious if you kind of like had that experience where you're like, I just know this is probably we're not on the same page. And like (laughs) later, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to keep pestering or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's hard because when you first start, you're just happy if anybody will give you the time of day and there's somebody on the line that seems like they're willing to give you money. So Mm -hmm. I also think it's just a function of your own confidence in leverage and opportunities and things like that. Right. You know, like I probably could tell you even early on, like who probably wasn't going to get there. Did I let them go? I probably didn't let them go as quickly as I should have because like there was just so few opportunities and investors. (laughs) But I will say the one thing I feel like really changed dramatically, at least for me personally, was as a founder and CEO, you hear a lot of people talk about the importance of a narrative, a story, you know, being able to really paint that future vision. Mm -hmm, That -hmm. was probably the biggest shift for me, at least personally, which is I finally got like grokked that and then develop the ability to tell that story in a much more succinct way. Mm. And I really feel like that plus the shifts in the market is what allowed us to move from, you know, having challenges raising to having very quick rounds that were competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that that's a challenge that like that narrative piece and like understanding, okay, uh, investor needs to hear like these numbers Right. And then they need to understand who I am as a person. And then they also need to see how we go from where we are right now to this big number that I described before. And I think founders are so in the weeds, in the mess of like the day to day things flying at them and all they know, because they actually know so much more about what they're talking about than the investor does, that it's hard to like zoom out and like switch to the other side of the table and be like, did I do everything on the checklist in a way Mm -hmm. that felt right? You know what I mean? Like that, that flow is super hard, not because they're not good speakers or conversationalists, but because they're like right in the middle of it. Right. (laughs) Well, a lot of it's probably invisible, especially when it's something like sounding board for you, because it's like you had that personal direct experience and then it can be hard to externalize that for an audience that has not had that. Right. Cause you're kind of like, well, how could you not know? This is so great. I wonder how many VCs have had executive coaches. It doesn't seem like a group that would be keen on Former it. They would be keen on getting would, them for their portfolio companies. But not the ones who are like direct in, right? Like they, they probably. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I don't need feedback <laughs> well, Christine, on anything. You probably know more about this. Do, you, do a lot of the ones that you're talking to express like, oh, I've had this experience. Like want coaches for themselves? More and more so. You're right. Most of them get exposed to it because their CEO gets one and then they see Mm. the impact that that has. And so now it's like very common that VCs have exec coaches that they work with, that they regularly refer out to their companies and their founders. Mm -hmm. You're right. I think probably less well adopted amongst the VCs themselves, but I definitely know a lot of VCs that have worked with coaches and even a couple that became coaches because so Mm. much, if you think about it, like the job of a VC, half of it is to coach their founders, right? So 
they are doing a lot of that same work and they see the value that they give back to their founders through that relationship. Most of them, hopefully. (laughs) Um, But I do feel like it's definitely getting more well adopted. So what do you think, Daryl? Is it time? I think it is. Yeah, we have a we have an exciting new segment. So yeah, Jordan, it's your idea. You take it away here. Okay. So we're, we want to, you know, podcasts have segments. I'm telling this to the whole audience too. We're really professional. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to introduce one. And the idea was to do the terrible corporate icebreakers during like conference calls, you know, like, hey, let's start with a warm up, <laughs> Right. So I'm going to hit you with one of the terrible corporate icebreaker questions. And I think from the list that we have here, my favorite one is this. Who would win a fight and why? Either a horse-sized duck or a hundred <laughs> duck-sized horses. Ooh, this is an old, this is a Reddit classic, actually, that has been adopted into corporate culture. So this is a good one. Yeah. OG. It's good for the against each other and the corporate. Yeah, against yeah. each yeah. other. So you either have... A horse-sized duck, 1,500 pounds of muscly duck, or you have 100 horses that are the size of a duck. I will say, I think President Obama has answered this. So there's stakes. Does your, does your oh, answer match up, match up to President Barack I've also Obama. tested it, so I actually have <laughs> empirical data. Oh, God. So am I going first? Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, you're going first. I'm going so... I'm probably all, the only one going. So I'm going to have to... <laughs> I'm going to have to vote for a horse-sized duck. Oh. Wow. And why? Like, what do you think would happen there? Like, how do they win that fight? My my just immediate, the immediate visualization that came to my mind was just the duck bill, you know, and how they could just open up and eat a lot of small animals. That's true. The horses are soft, especially when they're small like that. (laughs) Yeah, and then oh, and then think soft. about their webbed feet, right? There's a lot of surface area. Yeah, that's a area. lot of surface area. <laughs> yeah. Like a big so, stomp. Yeah, so big stomps, big sort of chewing capacity. I don't know. That's my answer. I like I'm sticking how with visual it. and graphic you went with this. <laughs> also, that was good. I was thinking the same thing though. Those are my pros for the duck, <laughs> but I disagree with you. What with the wings what? too? Yeah. Think about it beating its wings, and then they just blow all over the place. You think so? I think so. I don't know. Horses, even that small, are pretty sturdy. And have you seen a horse, like, fight something? Uh, I, I mean... I mean, I've been watching Yellowstone. Does that count? You know, it's kind of... <laughs> yeah, they like, rear up. Yellowstone is... <laughs> so my partner has a horse, and I'm at the barn every day. And these horses, when they, like, kick each other, or I've been bitten by a horse, too. It's not fun. And I feel like if you had, what does it say, a hundred? Yeah. A hundred of them. <laughs> Like, I Ducks don't know. Ducks are still pretty big, too. Could, That's a good point. Because they're pretty, they're, they're compact. They're, they're it's not like power. they're minuscule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're like powerful little things that are like all going crazy on you, kicking you and biting you. <laughs> but they you. also like, can't coordinate. Think, so you got to think about that. It's not like they're intelligent They can't. They probably hurt each other. Yeah. Yeah, they would probably start hurting each other, especially if the horses are smaller. If you imagine that brain even smaller. Yeah. I don't know. It's a toughie. What do you think, Daryl? Well, I, I will have to share, since I brought it up, I have to share... Obama's answer, but the question was phrased slightly differently because it was, "Would you rather fight a hundred <laughs> duck-sized horses or one horse-sized Neither. duck?" Neither, veto. And Obama picked fight. to fight one horse-sized duck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Definitely, I guess." So, okay. Um, 
So he agrees with me, basically. Well, this is him fighting it. But between... I know, but still, like, you want the weaker adversary, right? Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. I Yeah, I have to say... Oh, it, but then if you think... The only thing that gives me pause is, like, does it have to be total defeat? Because I feel like maybe some of the, like, five of the horses yeah. could kind of outlast the duck in a pure exhaustion way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true. But the duck would probably take out most of them. I think if you're like 95% depleted and the duck's still standing, probably the duck wins. Okay. Well, we'll we'll try it out. We'll get back to you. Down to the bottom <laughs> of it. Leave your thoughts in the comments in the review section. Please do. I, I got to know what the answer is on this one. Like what audience consensus is. I'll definitely follow yeah. the comments. We'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll let you know if we get, we'll do a poll or something. <laughs> Let's use the TechCrunch Twitter for that. That seems useful. Let's use the whole website for that. We'll do a takeover. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'll be your most viral podcast episode just because of this segment. Do you see segment. why we need an executive coach? We're like about to just go overtake yeah, TechCrunch like, with this question. It makes sense to just take over, like eliminate Based everybody. on our curiosity. We, we're not publishing any of your articles today, all the hard work you did, because we have this very important thing to just say. Sorry, team. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Christine. It's been great talking to you, and I already feel like a better leader. I'm not, but I feel like one, so... <laughs> That's step one. Yeah, that is step number one. I'll 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 be able to pat myself on the back for that if that's how you feel. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's great to meet you both. All right, Jordan, that was our conversation with Christine about sounding board. What did you think about our chat? I thought it was good. That's my opening kind of thought on it. Well, first of all, we did a we great job as usually. Yeah. yeah, backpats all like, around. It uh, is almost uh -huh. like we've been doing this for a year. I thought Christine was really cool and down to earth. She seemed to be having fun, which always makes the podcast more fun when we're not like yeah. ruining people's feelings. I also think that her advice to founders about how to approach coaching or how to think about it and like what you can do to prepare yourself was spot on. I don't think that like you have yeah. to come from a place of vulnerability in order to get anything done in that. So yeah, I liked it. What did what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought I thought she was great. I thought speaking to her directly made it seem like, oh, this is someone whose approach to coaching I would like to try out, right? So I think that reflects well on the company. I thought it was great that she talked about the challenges fundraising early on and was honest about, you know, they had a bunch of botched attempts to raise the Series A before they actually managed to raise their Series A. And talked about, like, how much timing played into their eventual success in terms of the pandemic and stuff like that. I think it's something we hear when we talk to a lot of different founders who are working on remote technologies, but it really just kind of accelerated people's realization that this needs to be part of the overall mix for a product like this or an offering like this. But it seems like that works out really well in the end because it means that they can offer this kind of thing to way more people within an organization than it was ever possible with totally. a person. The scalability is great. And I, I really appreciated the part of the conversation where we were talking about like if the company is your customer, but the user are these individual human beings who are trying to work on individual human being issues, like the tension there mm -hmm. and the balance there. And I appreciated Christine's honesty around like, we're still figuring it out, right? Like we think yeah. we have something that balances those two kind of like contradictory needs, but we're like constantly iterating it and looking at it because we know that that tension exists. Yeah. It, and it, 
sounded like I feel like they had the right mm-hmm. balance in their approach right now. And that is the thing where whenever you see one of those things, especially when it's coming top down, it feels a bit like, are you trying to get me to fit into the ideal mold and you want a bunch of cookie cutter kind of leaders with the same loadout of skills or whatever? Or is it also an observation exercise, like a surveillance exercise in, in effect, right? And so it can be very uncomfortable. Whereas what you want it to actually be is like, let's try to make these people that we've entrusted with a lot of responsibility feel as capable as they possibly can so that they can deliver, right? Which should be, I think, the extent of the involvement from higher ups. And then, you know, they don't need to know much more than that, except you feel like you're getting ahead, right? So, yeah. Cool. Well, you know, I think the real takeaway here is that Christine made us better leaders and now our bosses should pay us a lot more money. So I think so too. I think right after this, we'll just go put that in writing and maybe get Christine to sign it or something like an endorsement. Yeah. And let's just send like email a picture of us holding out our hands or making like grabby motions, like grabby Mm -hmm. for more cash. We can make it into a gif if we want. Yeah. And say, Christine says more. Thank you. (laughs) More please. Yeah. Another right. awesome close to a podcast. <laughs> we definitely don't have a tendency of drifting off. So this is why good. we are owed so much more money. So yeah, another yeah. demonstration of our value. <laughs> You're welcome. Pound <laughs> is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Cal Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.